most proud of in no particular order, if, if I could put them in three categories, okay. during your administration, you tell me if I'm right or wrong. Peace, human rights, and energy? I would say those environment. Yeah, yeah, I think energy and environment yeah. are connected. Yeah. We passed a comprehensive energy policy that cut down our imports of oil by 50% in just, in just five years. Ronald Reagan came in, he said, we don't need to save energy. We'll have a great nation on the top of a hill or something like that. We can waste all we want. We don't have to conserve. And so he undid all he could. A lot of the things that we passed in energy policy were embedded in law. And they resulted in tremendous reductions in waste of energy in all kinds of things. We also started the um, use of, of solar energy and windmills and, and hydroelectric and that sort of thing. And, and we've, we've faltered with that. Uh, now China has taken over. China is the number one producer of advanced, uh, uh, advanced windmills and, and, and um, um, photovoltaic cells and so forth. But um, had the energy policy not been abandoned, we wouldn't be in the bad shape we are now. But yes, you're right, Peace. Uh, we had tremendous challenges to my administration and to the United States when I was in, in, in the White House. But we were lucky, I say lucky enough, and, and, and I think maybe use good enough judgment not to start a war. We, we didn't, we never dropped a bomb, we never fired a bullet, we never sh launched a missile during the time I was in office. And, and we still upheld the integrity and, and, and good faith of our country. And, and in human rights, we were the cha world champion of human rights, there's no mm -hmm. doubt about that. So, you know, a lot to be proud of. It's been a good life. And you're it's not been a good life? No, I yeah. hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but you did give us a scare a few weeks ago, though. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're doing well. But though. I was yeah. just sick for one day, yeah. but unfortunately... <laughs> With you, Jimmy Carter, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day, you were out building habitat houses oh, again. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's good to see you, Mr. President. Nice to be with you all. Always oh, good to have you on. I have had the honor of interviewing former President Jimmy Carter many times over the course of my broadcast career. As we all know, the 98-year-old former president has chosen to spend his remaining days at home in hospice, and his hometown of Plains, Georgia, is holding a daily vigil. Uh, we speak now for the rest of this hour with the author Kai Bird about what he calls the unfinished presidency of Jimmy Carter. I am pleased to have Kai Bird on this program. Kai, how are you today, sir? I'm good. Thank you, Tavis, for having me on your wonderful show. It's my great honor to have you. Thank you for your work, and um, good to have an hour to unpack this legacy, I suspect, in the coming days. And this um, yeah, feels a bit morbid on the one hand. On the other hand, I think that Jimmy Carter's presidency deserves uh, the kind of unpacking, the kind of interrogation, and frankly, in many respects, as you heard him say a moment ago, the kind of rethinking all of these years later, and so I suspect in the coming days, whenever that moment comes, uh, that he makes his transition, um, the focus of the nation, and certainly the news media, will be looking back on the presidency of Jimmy Carter uh, and certainly his life uh, as a uh, public citizen uh, beyond his days in the White House. There'll be a lot to unpack, and so I, again, suspect in the coming days we'll be doing more of that. I've got, again, so many interviews with him in my in my library, all kinds of clips that we will pull out at the appropriate time uh, and share uh, and look back on um, the life and legacy of one of, of one Jimmy Carter. But I want to talk to you today because I know that your your book is is dropping in in in, uh, in paperback. Um, uh, came out, I should say, paperback um, uh, some months ago, uh, and um, wanted to call you early on because I figure others will be calling you as well to talk about your book. The book is called The Outlier. The Unfinished Presidency of Jimmy Carter, The Outlier, 
the unfinished presidency of Jimmy Carter. Let me start our conversation. Again, we've got an hour here, so let's just work this out, uh, Kai. Let me start with that title. Titles uh, mean a great deal to me, and uh, uh, this one uh, jumps out at you. When you call him the outlier, let's unpack that first. And then when you say the unfinished presidency of Jimmy Carter, let's unpack that second, and we'll jump from there. So why refer to him as the outlier? Sure. Well, he's a very misunderstood president and very complex, much more complex than people realize. And one of his qualities is that he was uh, a very unusual politician. And so I chose the title. Titles are, you're right, very hard. Uh, I chose the title The Outlier because I think it sort of captured who he was. And, uh, you know, he's he's sort of uh, he's he's not a, he's hard to pin down. He's a liberal on race and on social issues, but he is also a sort of fiscal small town conservative on the budget, the federal budget and small government. Um, and so he's kind of hard to pigeonhole and he's kind of, you know, he's his own man, his own think, thinking. And uh, so the outlier captures who he who he was. He he came from nowhere to win the presidency in a very improbable race in 1976. Mm-hmm. Um, and once he was in the White House, he just tried to do the right thing. And he was rather shocked when he lost in 1980 to that failed Hollywood movie actor. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he then plunged into depression for a little while and snapped out of it when he realized what he should do with the rest of his life, which was to build the Carter Center and use it to continue his presidency. So that's why I call it the unfinished presidency. He, He has done fabulous things, for humanity, humanitarian projects, health projects, wiping out guinea worm disease, mm-hmm. habitat for humanity, conflict resolution in the Middle East. You know, he's willing to grapple with tough issues. Yeah. And many of these issues are things that he worked on when he was in the White House. So, again, it's the unfinished presidency. Yeah. Uh, thank you for, for taking those questions now that we understand better why the book is called The Outlier, The Unfinished Presidency of Jimmy Carter. When we come forward, a great deal to interrogate. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago that I've had many uh, opportunities to sit with uh, President Jimmy Carter, which I am forever grateful for. In one of those sit-down conversations, we'll play this clip, I'm um, sure, in the days ahead, I asked President Carter... <laughs> And I, I kind of uh, was, was somewhat afraid to do it, but when it came out of my mouth, I, I had hoped, uh, I thought I, maybe I should have pulled it back, but I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't because he gave a great answer. But I asked him, you know, we were seated, you know, obviously just a f- foot or two apart on my TV set. Uh, we could touch each other. And I said to him, you know, face to face, Mr. Carter, President Carter, how would you respond to the notion that many believe that you are the best ex-president we've ever had? that you're the best ex-president, as you heard Kai Bird say a moment ago. So much was accomplished by Jimmy Carter once he left the White House. And uh, 
he 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 uh, he answered the question. Uh, he was nice about it, but as I said the other day, he 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 spanked me a little bit when when he finally got around to answering it. Uh, but it was a question I thought needed to be asked, and so I asked it because so many people have talked about his post presidency uh, uh, being far more significant than his presidency. We'll put that question or that notion at least and a, a great deal more in this hour to our guest, Kai Bird, author of the book The Outlier: The Unfinished Presidency of Jimmy Carter as the Nation. Uh, just uh, sort of uh, waits through this period of his hospice at home. Uh, and uh, every one of us eventually has to do that dance with mortality. And Jimmy Carter is doing that dance right now. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Kai Bird, you heard me say a moment ago, I asked uh, President Carter that question, whether or not he thought he was the best ex-president we we, we ever had. Um, <laughs> how, 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 would, how would you process that question? Well, I know that he's very annoyed by that question because mm-hmm. he's actually quite proud of his four years in the White House. He thought he had a very consequential presidency. And uh, again, uh, I think his ex-presidency has simply become an extension of his unfinished presidency. He really wanted a second term, and he thought he could have accomplished a lot more. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's very proud of his White House years, and I, I think also he's been very proud of what he's done the last four-plus decades in the Carter Center. Yeah, to, to, to your point of a moment ago, and I say this with all due respect, again, I love um, President Carter. Uh, just a, You won't meet a nice, I've never met a nicer person. Um, and on, on a personal level, you know, the fact that he kept writing all these books and uh, doing other work um, uh, in this country and around the globe, and every time he would uh, uh, do a tour, for a book or something special, he always made sure I was on his list, and so I'm forever grateful for him making <laughs> sure that this uh, that this uh, young black kid from Mississippi uh, was always on his list uh, when he did these these tours. That said, I, I think there's a bit of naivete um, when you suggest earlier uh, naivete on his part, not your part, that he was uh, shocked and surprised when he lost that race. I mean, all of the indicators. Uh, by the time he got to that re-election in 1980, were that he was in trouble. Um, his his his, rat- right. his ratings were in the, his ratings were in the toilet. He survived a vicious uh, vicious assault uh, from Ted Kennedy, uh, and I can tell you uh, now in my many conversations with him, as you certainly well know as a scholar, uh, he you know I don't I don't know if he ever forgave Ted Kennedy for that. But um, as as bitter as he was about losing that race, he was yeah. bitter about what Ted Kennedy did primarying him. I mean, you're a sitting president. You're not supposed to be primary. There's a great deal of conversation right now about whether or not Joe Biden ought to stand for reelection. And if he does, yeah, whether or not some right. whether or not some Democrat will primary him. But my point is that President Carter had to be a bit naive to my mind if he thought that he was going to win that that race. Well, he yeah, he was a little bit naive, but he it. It came from his just enormous self-confidence, mm-hmm. and he's a fighter. And, you know, people think of him as a woolly-headed humanitarian liberal, but he, you know, when he wanted something, when he, when he wanted to win an election, he was willing to do what was necessary, and he was good at it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Hunter Thompson, the, the gonzo, famous gonzo journalist for the Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. when he first met him in 1974, uh, it was at the Georgia Law Day uh, event where Carter was giving a speech and where Ted Kennedy was giving a speech. And Hunter Thompson witnessed the two of them go at it. And Carter, he thought, was just brilliant, gave mm-hmm. this rousing speech about the injustice of Southern justice against the black man in particular in South Georgia. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just, he beat Ted Kennedy that first in that first encounter. And, you know, they just didn't get along. They were like oil and water. Um, but Hunter Tom- Thompson came away from watching that experience and decided that Jimmy Carter was one of the meanest men he had ever encountered. <laughs> what he mm-hmm. meant was, you know, that he was pragmatic, ambitious, and he would do what it was going to take to win. And uh, I think that's true. You know, Carter came from nowhere to win the governorship and then to win the White House. And, you know, he he did some he, he did what was necessary in those early races, particularly in that first in that 1970 gubernatorial race, he he walked right up to the the line with dog whistles, trying to appeal to white rural voters, and at the same time campaigning in black churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just Machiavellian and brilliant at it. And then once he gets in, once he wins the the governor's race. He shocked everyone on day one with his inaugural speech, announcing that the time for racial discrimination in the South was over, shocking everyone on the stage. Uh, This was considered a a betrayal by a white politician of of his race in, you know, January of 1971. Uh And then he proceeded to do what he thought was the right thing, and he appointed large numbers of African-Americans to positions in the governor's office. And uh, likewise, when he ran for the presidency and won it there, he he changed the judici- the federal judicial bench and, uh, and appointed more African-Americans to the federal bench than all of his predecessors combined. And But, you know, he was willing to do what was necessary to win power so that he could do do good. <laughs> yeah. Let me, um, let me come to this now. Um, and this may get me in some trouble, not the first or the last time, but let, let's just go. Cause again, in the coming days, um, as he makes his transition, we'll be talking a great deal more about it. So I'm sure I'll get a chance to get myself in more trouble <laughs> in the days and weeks and months to come. <laughs> okay. Uh, but to my mind, to my mind, there are two presidents that stand above all others. This is just me talking. When it comes to the issue of race, and by that I mean expressly their understanding of it and their courage around it. Now, I could debate you on, and I'm sure people would debate me, debate me on Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln starts out on the wrong side of the slavery question. No, no question about that. He starts out on the wrong side. And if it were not for a guy named Frederick Douglass, as we sit in Black History Month, February, were it not for Frederick Douglass, Lincoln would not have gotten on the right side of the slavery question. But Lincoln does, in fact, whatever you mm-hmm. think of him, fight a war over the institution of slavery to save the Union. 
So whatever my misgivings may be about Abraham Lincoln, you can't fade the brother. He fought a war to save the Union over the institution of slavery. He got on the right side of that question in time. So Lincoln is Exhibit A. Exhibit B for me is Jimmy Carter for many of the reasons that you just laid out. Jimmy Carter was never afraid of race. He didn't run away from it. He ran to it, starting with his inaugural speech, as you mentioned, when he was elected governor. All the time through his time as governor, his time as president, he never ran away from the issue of race. And there, there's a lot to ask about that. Let me just start with this. How did Jimmy Carter become so sensitive? Um, so many folk are anesthetized to that issue these days and want to run away from it because race just gets you in trouble. Let's just, be, let's just call a spade a spade. In many ways, Barack Obama, and you can argue why, for many reasons, ran away from the issue of race. Jimmy Carter didn't do that. Joe Biden is not doing right. that. But why and how did Jimmy Carter become so comfortable with black folk? Well, you know, it's it's a very improbable story because his father was a white supremacist, believed in segregation. Mm -hmm. He was a racist. Mm -hmm. um, and yet Jimmy was not. And I think the reason is clearly because of his mother, Miss Lillian, who uh, was, uh, you know, came from a different Southern tradition. She was the eccentric Southern lady who could speak her mind. And she talked, you mentioned Abraham Lincoln. She admired Abraham Lincoln. And, you know, in South Georgia, in certain circles, that was uh, taboo. Mm -hmm. But she uh, she was a nurse, and she uh, took in as patients African Americans, white, whatever. She didn't charge sometimes. She's you know she allowed uh, black folk to come into their house to the discomfort of her husband. So Jimmy grew up in archery just down the road from Plains. And literally, you know, he was the only white boy in town in, mm -hmm. in this little hamlet, and all his childhood friends were African American, and so he felt very comfortable all his life um, in this culture, uh, and he felt comfortable going into a black church and singing the hymns, and and uh, he, you know, he loved the South in a way that, and, and black culture in a way that I don't, I think is very unusual. No. Uh, so an extraordinary man. And he used his presidency. He wanted to bridge the racial divide and bring us together. And of course, I think, you know, I argue in the outlier that one of the reasons he lost in 1980 to Ronald Reagan was that he suffered a backlash from a lot of white voters, working-class white voters, uh, evangelical white mm. voters who were unhappy with everything that he had done. And uh, that was a tragedy for the country, and uh, yeah. I think he was, he was shocked by that. I want to come back to this, uh, this, this issue of uh, even evangelicism, uh, in part because Jimmy Carter himself is an evangelical. Uh, and to your point, uh, they, they, they turned against him uh, in that election of 1980. But I want to put a finer point on this, and you're a scholar, so you know this stuff better than I do, but it's always worth pointing out, and I never, ever want people to forget that while Ronald Reagan um, uh, destroyed Jimmy Carter in that race back in 1980, Jimmy Carter had always been on the right side of race questions, 
on the right side of race issues. Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan announced his candidacy for presidency in Philadelphia, Mississippi, the place right. the place where Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney were murdered. And he advanced a notion in his announcement of states' rights. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Ronald Reagan was the governor of California. <laughs> Why is the former <laughs> governor of California in Mississippi in well, Philadelphia? sending a message. Exactly. In Philadelphia, where they murdered Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney announcing his presidency. Don't talk to me about Ronald Reagan. I don't want to hear about it. That's where he started, and so it, be, it should be no surprise what we got or didn't get, depending on the issue, during the eight years of his presidency. I don't care what they say about Ronald Reagan. I will never forgive him for being very abundantly clear of where he stood when he made that announcement uh, that he was running for president in Philadelphia. And that was an, an absolute contrast, as you hear uh, Kai Bird saying now, an absolute contrast to who Jimmy Carter was. And that may, that may very well be why. One of the many reasons uh, why Jimmy Carter lost that race um, against Ronald Reagan, because Reagan was not just that. Ain't, I wouldn't call that a dog whistle, Kai. He was he was abundantly clear. <laughs> right. about where. It was outrageous. Yeah, it was outrageous. He was sending a big, broad message to the American voters who were uncomfortable with race and uncomfortable with what jimmy carter was doing indeed so, indeed when we come forward outrageous no it well it, that's a perfect word for it outrageous um when we come forward so much more to talk about regarding the life and legacy of jimmy carter uh, i can hear him saying right now kai tabis i ain't dead yet i'm still here uh, and he's correct. He is still living, still breathing, uh, although in hospice. But but there's no time like the president to start uh, talking about the presence of Jimmy Carter and whether or not there are ways with all the years that have gone by to sort of rethink, uh, to reimagine, to relook at his presidency. When we come forward, I'm sure some of you are listening right now thinking, why didn't you put Bill Clinton on your list of one of the best presidents on the issue of race? I love Bill Clinton, personal friend, but Bill Clinton was wrong on some issues, and he and I went back and forth about it while he was president. He was wrong on the welfare bill. He was wrong on the crime bill. And those things hurt black people in some significant ways. Um, so I love him, but he was wrong on a number of things. And uh, to my mind, Jimmy Carter, all things considered, was better on race than Bill Clinton was, even though they were both from the South. He had experiences living with and befriending black people. More to come when we uh, move forward after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley, and uh, we're delighted to have you with us in this hour as we... Uh, Reflect on the life and legacy of uh, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter in hospice at his home uh, in Plains, Georgia. The entire city of Plains is on vigil. Uh, he uh, has chosen to spend his remaining days uh, at home. Uh, and uh, as I said earlier, every one of us has to eventually do that dance with mortality. He's doing it right now. Uh, and so in the coming days, there'll be a lot about Jimmy Carter uh, to be discussed uh, as people uh, look anew at his presidency, only a one-term president. Uh, but a great deal accomplished in that four-year period, and uh, we're discussing some of that with the author of the book, The Outlier, The Unfinished Presidency of Jimmy Carter, uh, Kai Bird. Again, in the coming days, I'll be playing more and more clips uh, from many of my conversations with the former president, who I um, adored as a person, uh, adore as a person, and uh, just delighted to have had so many opportunities to 
spend time talking to him. Um, let me, let me, I'm watching my clock here. A few more things I, I want to cover between now and the top of the hour, Kai, we're going to lose you. Uh, let me move through mm-hmm. some things rather swiftly here. Number one, um, you mentioned earlier, uh, quoting a, a great writer, uh, that uh, Jimmy Carter was one of the toughest guys he'd ever met. I'm paraphrasing that now. He was a tough guy. Uh, and I'm wondering uh, what he brought from his Navy service to his public service. Well, he famously in the White House was a man who paid attention to detail. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got that from, you know, being an engineer studying nuclear physics in, in the Navy and being uh, a, a subordinate to Admiral Hyman Rickover, who was building our nuclear Navy uh, submarine uh, armada at the time. And so he paid attention to detail, which is a great quality, you think, to have in a president, a man who gets up with the dawn, 5.36 in the morning, and is in the Oval Office a half an hour later and spends 12 hours reading two or three hundred pages of memos every day, paying attention to detail. <laughs> That's yeah. what he was taught in the Navy. Yeah. Um, what's, always, what's always been fascinating uh, for me, and he and I discussed this on one or two occasions, Fascinating for me that he's a guy who served in the military, but if you ask him the things that he's proudest of uh, in his four-year, in his uh, four-year, one term as president, you heard it earlier at the top of this hour in the clip that I played. One of the things he uh, was grateful for was that during his presidency, he never fired, that is to say the U.S. military, never fired a single bullet. We never launched a single right. missile. We never put boots on the ground in any country. Uh, for a guy who served in the Navy, he was awfully proud of the fact that he never led the U.S. in any sort of military excursion. How do you juxtapose those two things? Well, you know, this is the man who is a man of faith, and he wanted at all costs to avoid war, unnecessary war. So recall when our hostages were taken by the Iranian revolutionary regime uh, in November of 79. Uh, Carter refused, although his advisors tried to argue with him, he refused to retaliate with military force. He, he argued that diplomacy would take care of this issue. And he was right in the end, but it, it was costly. That hostage crisis wounded his presidency. Yeah, no question about that. Um, Many years ago, some years ago, I had a conversation with uh, Professor Lewis V. Baldwin. Lewis Baldwin is a major, major uh, scholar. Uh, his work has focused for many decades, now retired at Vanderbilt, but is uh, a King scholar, as in Martin Luther King Jr., a King scholar. Of course, mm-hmm. King comes from Georgia, same state as Jimmy Carter, Georgia. Uh, and Professor Baldwin once said to me in a conversation, Kai Bird, um, that Tavis, this might shock you and it might shock your audience, but he said to me, I do not personally believe that a true Christian could ever be president of the United States. Now, Professor Baldwin said that to me many years ago, and I've been wrestling with that thing for a decade now. And I, I can't, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around whether or not I agree with, 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 uh, with uh, Professor Baldwin, uh, that a true Christian could never be president of the United States. Now, I take the point that he's making. You only One only needs to start with the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Um, Jimmy Carter certainly didn't violate that particular commandment. Um, but here Jimmy Carter was a man of faith. 
He was an evangelical. He uh, until recently he was teaching his class Sunday school every Sunday at at his church, Maranatha, in in right. Plains, Georgia. He clearly is a man of faith, and yet uh, when he stood for re-election in 1980, to your point earlier, the inver- the the by said Tavis, the evangelical community turned against Jimmy Carter. Take me back to that moment and tell me why they turned against him for Ronald Reagan. They turned against him because. In 1980, many all over the South, but in other parts of the country, too, there were springing up white religious academies Mm -hmm. that were uh, being built to evade school desegregation. And they had tax-exempt status as, you know, a church, a religious organization. And Carter decided this was wrong, that these people were... uh, doing this out of racism, and so he took away their tax-exempt status, and Mm. evangelical leaders were furious, and so, you know, people like Pat Robertson went into churches and and preached against Carter and said he wasn't a true Christian. (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I disagree with your, your, your other historian there. I think, you know, Carter is obviously a Christian, a Mm -hmm. man of deep faith, and he was a president, and he tried very hard to do the right thing, and he paid the consequences for it. So many people would say he was a great president, but a bad politician. (laughs) Yep, I hear your point. And and if it makes you feel better, I I told uh, uh, Professor Baldwin that if, in fact, a true Christian can be president of the United States, uh, I would offer Jimmy Carter as Exhibit A. That's as close as I can get. Um, Jimmy Carter <laughs> right. would be my Exhibit A uh, in, in my defense. Uh, if I believed uh, the notion that a Christian could, in fact, be president, I'm, I'm offering you Jimmy Carter. So you and I, uh, Kai Bird, uh, agree in that regard. That said, uh, we, mentioned, we mentioned Ronald Reagan a few times earlier in this conversation. Here he comes back again. Because in, in retrospect, and, and I, I, mean, I, I was much younger then, of course, um, but in retrospect, studying uh, President Carter's record uh, and his policies and his points of views, you're right about the fact, uh, being a, a historian and scholar yourself, of course, that uh, he was liberal on race and social issues, much more conservative on other issues, including the issue of small government. Uh, in retrospect, it's fascinating to consider that he and Reagan were not that dissimilar on, on, on the, the scope, perhaps, and certainly the size of government. Right. No, that's true. You know, Carter was always looking for small government solutions. On the other hand, and he didn't want to spend a lot of money on big, you know, government projects. He famously vetoed a bunch of pork barrel projects that were like Army Corps of Engineer water dams and mm-hmm. small congressional districts all over the country. And of course, this, he, he paid a political price for this. But he also, when he saw an opportunity to spend federal dollars on good things, like expanding uh, food stamps to largely black, rural, poor in the South, uh, Carter did that. And he expanded, you know, millions of people came, were got access to food stamps during his presidency that otherwise would not have had uh, access to this cheap food. Yeah. And he was willing to do that and spend dollars in that way. But, you know, he, he had a skeptical eye on big defense expenditures. He 
didn't want to build dams and uh, that were unnecessary. He, he, he had a sort of small town fiscal conservative streak to him. Yeah. Uh, back to our notion of his being a, a person of faith. Uh, there's a Bible verse uh, that says a good name is rather uh, to be preferred than great riches. Take a good name any day over great riches. Jimmy Carter wasn't altogether poor, uh, but um, but a good name is what he was after. And uh, he was and is, in fact, um, a good man. Uh, when we come forward, uh, one of the things I want to uh, get uh, Kai Bird's take on is uh, why Jimmy Carter did not fare so well in Washington. Uh, in the coming days, we'll play some clips uh, where Jimmy Carter and I were talking about this. But he uh, said to me, Tavis, I think there are a couple of reasons why perhaps I, uh, a couple of mistakes I made in Washington. And when we come forward, I'm going to tell you what two of those mistakes were that Jimmy Carter confessed to me that he made. And we'll get Kai Brush take on that and a great deal more uh, as we continue our conversation about his book, The Outlier, The Unfinished Presidency of Jimmy Carter. You're listening to Kai Bird on KBLA Talk 158. I'm Tavis Smiley. Our guest in this hour is the Pulitzer Prize winning historian and journalist Kai Bird. Uh, we're discussing his book, The Outlier, The Unfinished Presidency of Jimmy Carter, now out in paperback. Uh, and I'm um, just delighted to have an expert uh, on all things Jimmy Carter in dialogue this hour as we uh, send prayers up uh, for Jimmy Carter, who is now at home in Plains, Georgia, choosing to spend his remaining days in hospice. Um, so there were two things, Kai Bird, that uh, Jimmy Carter said to me that he thought he could have done better at while he was president in the uh, 76 through 80. Uh, no particular order. Number one, he confessed to me, Tavis, I'm not sure I had the best relationship with the media. Uh, I wasn't particularly fond of them and they weren't particularly fond of me. So uh, I didn't get along as well as I could have with the media. In retrospect, I understand how I could have been better served by a better relationship. And secondly, he said, uh, Rosalind and I, you know, we're not, you know, we're not, you know, people that like to party and go out at night. And so he, uh, right. a small town guy, and he didn't really like the Washington um, elite. They didn't like him. He didn't do the social circuit, and he realized in retrospect how, um, you know, perhaps in, in ingratiating himself more to the Washington elite might have aided and abetted his presidency. But those are two things he shared with me. What do you take? A, what's your take on, on those two things? Yeah, I, I asked him in one of my interviews why he turned down so many dinner invitations from. Uh, Catherine Graham, the publisher mm -hmm. of the Washington Post. Right. And there was a long pause, and he looked at me and he says, Well, maybe that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. You know, Catherine Graham was a powerful publisher, lived in a fancy mansion in Georgetown. And, you know, Jimmy Carter and his White House aides, they like to socialize over pizza and a uh, and a beer mm. and uh these fancy georgetown parties just weren't their style you know he he had a terrible relationship with the washington post and they made fun of him they made fun of his southern accent and they they mocked him it was just terrible you know they did stories for instance did you know tavis that that uh his daughter amy mm -hmm. was you know what nine years old seven, eight, nine years old. Mm -hmm. And her nanny was a, a woman named Mary Prince, who was a convicted murderess who was still serving time. 
in Georgia prisons when Carter's believing that she was innocent, took her out and uh, provided her clemency so that she could pr- serve her parole mm-hmm. in the White House, serving as the nanny. Mm. So, and the Washington Post took this story uh, of, you know, sort of Christian charity and turned it around and mocked it. Mm. Uh, it was, you know, he just had a terrible t- problem with the the Washington press. It's a small town run by uh, a certain elite, and they just didn't fit in. Yeah, that's a story I did not know, and that's why you, you talk to folk like Kai Bird to learn things uh, about uh, the life and legacy of one Jimmy Carter that uh, one might not know so well. Again, in the coming days, I suspect uh, we'll see Kai Bird all over the place. I'm glad I got him early because everybody's going to be calling him, and uh, he'll be sharing uh, his accounts of his conversations and his relationship with President Carter in the days ahead. When we come forward in our remaining moments with Kai Bird on this program on KBLA Talk 1580, uh, I want to come to this uh, to close our conversation, come to this notion of Jimmy Carter's depression for a guy who was a person of, a, of, of an abiding and a deep faith. He did, in fact, fall into a very deep depression uh, once he lost that election. But he put himself out of it and went on to do some amazing work in this country and around the globe and fought. He's received every honor imaginable, including, of course, the Nobel Peace Prize. I call that uh, acquitting yourself quite nicely. And that's why he calls his book The Outlier, The Unfinished Presidency of Jimmy Carter. Uh, our remaining moments with Kai Bird, historian and Pulitzer Prize winner. Uh, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get, let's, uh, let's get back to Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, historian and journalist Kai Bird, author of the book The Outlier, The Unfinished Presidency of Jimmy Carter. Uh, now out in paperback. Uh, a few minutes left here, Kai Bird, in this conversation. I thank you so much for just taking the time to, to spend with us uh, in this hour. Um, Jimmy Carter, to your earlier point, uh, fell into a deep depression after losing that race to Ronald Reagan. It was a landslide victory for Ronald Reagan back in 1980. Talk to me about the depression and how he pulled himself ultimately out of it. Yes, well, you know, he's a strong man, and but he was certainly shocked by his defeat at the hands of Ronald Reagan. And uh, he came back to Plains, Georgia, to the house that he had built in 1961, where he's lived ever since. And he was, you know, sort of wondering what to do with the rest of his life. He was still a man in his 50s. And uh, one night he suddenly sat up straight in bed and his wife Rosalind stirred and looked at him and said, Jimmy, are you ill? Uh, Because he was a sound sleeper normally. And he said, well, I've suddenly had a good idea. I know what we should do. We should uh, build the Carter, uh, Carter center devoted to conflict resolution and doing good works around the world. So, you know, for him, he's that's what he's done for the next 40 years. And uh, among other things, he has uh, taken on er- the eradication of guinea worm disease in Africa. Mm-hmm. There were millions of cases of this terrible disease. And in last year, in 2022, there were only 13 remaining cases of, in human beings. And I remember him joking with me at times that he, he wanted to 
you know, he was in his 90s then already, and he wanted to outlive the last guinea worm. Mm-hmm. And I think he's mm-hmm. very close to it, very close to it. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me ask you, I've got uh, just about a minute and a half here left, uh, and we'll talk again, I hope, somewhere down the road. But uh, what, what's, what's your personal takeaway? You heard me earlier express my own sentiment about the president and in the way that I've gotten to know him. You spent more time with him than I have, in fact. But uh, what's, your, what's your personal takeaway about the man, Jimmy Carter? Well, I think his, his standing in the history books is going to only rise. He was, without a doubt, the most intelligent, the most hardworking, and the most decent man who's uh, occupied the, the Oval Office in the 20th century. And the, that's, that's saying a lot. You know, uh, th- those are qualities that we would like to have in a president. Uh, you know, he, he had f- only four years, but it was scandal-free. There were no scandals in his presidency. There was no corruption. And he accomplished a lot passed a lot of domestic legislation, and he had many foreign policy triumphs, including the brilliant diplomacy at Camp David that brought peace between Israel and Egypt. So I think he's going to go down in the history books as a great president someday, but uh, we have to get rid of these notions that we have of him as a uh, great ex-president and a failed president. Nope. It's much more complicated, that story. I take your point, and I have uh, enjoyed this conversation immensely. Kai Bird uh, is a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, historian and journalist, and not just a Pulitzer Prize winning, he is an elected member of the prestigious Society of American Historians, so he stands head and shoulders above many of the others who do this great work every day. Kai Bird, good to have you on. Uh, thank you for this book, The Outlier, The Unfinished Presidency of Jimmy Carter, now out in paperback, and we'll talk again down the road, my friend. Thank you, Tavis. All the best to you. Thank you.